Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We've got a phenomenal show planned for you guys this evening. Thank you so much for being here. I am just a little bit slightly under the weather. Got a little bit of a fever, not a big deal. But if my voice sounds slightly off, that is why. And as they say, the show must go on. So that is what we're going to do. We are multicasting. So if you haven't heard the show before, this should be something that you really enjoy. Put a lot of effort into this. A few people have asked me how to find our full network. Just go to allmylinks.com slash thehumanxp. That'll... That'll give you the full list of everywhere that we are. If you want to make a contribution, that would help us out a lot. We're staying within the realms of unlocking human potential this evening. Talking about, we're going to be talking about how to create and become the architects of our lives. We're going to be, ta- we're going to be getting into different techniques that you can use to harness success. So whether you are here with us live right now or if you're listening to the podcast version of this, thank you so much for your presence. Sincerely appreciate it. Either way, sit back, grab a drink, and enjoy this conversation. The Human Experience is in session. My name is Xavier Katana. My guest for tonight is Mr. Stuart Lichtman. Stuart Lichtman is an author, entrepreneur, scientist, and researcher who teaches people how to harness the power of their unconscious mind. Stuart's formal education includes undergraduate and graduate work at MIT in engineering, psychology, and artificial intelligence. His master's work is in applied psychology, and he did his doctoral work in organization development and cross-cultural business. He's also conducted extensive research on the unconscious and the intuitive basis of success and the individual and collective operation of the human mind. Stu, it's a pleasure. Welcome to HXP. I'm really happy to be here, Xavier. So thank you. So, so Stu, I mean, I I'm I'm really happy that you made the time to do this show. Um, there's there's so much that I want to get into, but you know, let, just to to begin things off, I, I think is I, I I I'd really like to establish a contextual basis of you know um, how did you get 
started into this work? What what brought you into this field? I think that would be, I mean, because you because you were doing your work in, at MIT, but then you kind of you you switched gears and you started pursuing this. So what let, what changed those gears for you? Well, if I go back to MIT, I remember that I was sitting with my advisor, who was also my mentor, and I pointed out to him that even though he'd gotten me permission to study all areas of engineering, there was something missing. That is, none of them could model human beings. And he said, well, try psychology and economics. And I found out they were zero on that. So I said, I'm going to do that. He kind of laughed at me, said, sure. And it took nine years, but I did it. Um, Came up with a system that had to run on the time the Cray computers, the biggest supercomputers around, because it needed so much processing power, Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. And then the first application was in my doctoral work. I did my dissertation on the unconscious decision-making of venture capitalists. Okay. And I had been putting out a publication, so I had contact, had been having contact with venture capitalists since I was at MIT. The very first ones in the world were at American Research and Development in Boston, and I got chummy with them. Okay. Okay, okay. okay. So so let me let me just uh, let me just thread this a little bit a little bit more. So I want I want to know. I mean, this book, um, this how to get lots of money for anything fast. Um, you co-authored this with Joe Vitali. We've had him on the show. Uh, Jack Canfield Canfield. He he endorsed your work. I mean, are you guys sort of friends? I mean, how did you? How did you get, I mean, do you guys know each other? How, how did that work out? How did, you, how did you end up choosing Joe to sort of co-author this book for you, with you? Well, actually, as Joe says in his introduction, he just uh, added little touches to make it more chummy, um, more friendly. Um, in fact, my marketing guy uh, was a friend of Joe's and he put us together. He said, Joe could do a great job editing. And so we did a deal with Joe editing. Um, Didn't do too much in that sense. We did it easily. We fitted together extremely well. Jack Hmm. Canfield's an old friend of mine from a long time ago. I've known him for a long time. And He's a splendid guy. Um, so that's my relationships with them. Jack, um, gee, I've known him, wow, long time. Okay. Uh, at least 30 years, 35. Okay. Okay. So so these are people that you've you've known for a long time and, you know, you thought, you thought, oh, well, you know, Joe can help me sort of give this a little bit of a different approach or uh, 
how can I say, uh, an angle maybe that that you weren't addressing initially with with this book? I would call it a tone. He didn't really change any of the content, but he framed it with little catchphrases and so on. Okay. Okay. So let's moving forward. Um, you, you know, I I want to know. Let's talk about cybernetic transposition. This is one of the, I would say, the key tenets of your work. Um, you you talk about this and what is cybernetic transposition? And I mean, why did you why did you call it that? Why did you call it cybernetic transposition? Good question. David Garfinkel, my marketing guy, said to me, you got to come up with a name. Now, when I was at MIT, um, the founder of cybernetics was there, Norbert Wiener. He was the prototypical absent-minded professor. About once a week, he'd forget where he parked his car and start screaming that it was stolen. Um you know, goggle-eyed glasses, and so forth. He wrote a book called The Human Use of Human Beings. And that's why I'm using the word cybernetic, because it really is about the human use of human beings. You see, there is a funny karmic trip in that There's no operating manual for human beings. We're delivered without an operating manual. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And people don't understand how the system works. Sure, sure. Okay, so... so, Okay. okay. So... So, you you started this with uh, the help of a near-death experience, though. I mean, that's a bit odd, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it depends on your perspective. Um, I was quintessentially um, dysfunctional as a kid. I had Asperger's syndrome and uh, couldn't really connect with anybody. I just wanted to go back to God. Um, I got my wish when I had this near-death experience. I met God. And I was given a choice. Either I could stay in that place of infinite love, mercy, and acceptance, or I could come back and complete what I had laid out as my life plan with the intent of completing all my karma this lifetime. I chose the latter. Now, I didn't realize some of the stuff I was getting in for. About four or five years later, I was meditating, and Spirit just gave me packets of information, meaning when I was meditating, it just came in, like, write this, write this, write this down. Hmm. I ended up the first day taking a thin line legal pad and completely filling it. Same thing happened for the next four days, mm-hmm. and that was cybernetic transposition. Being an entrepreneur at heart, I put together my first training in a month. I had 250 people. 
Mm-hmm. And the first try out of the box, 76% of, I'm sorry, 67% of them achieved their first seemingly impossible objective, first try. And in essence, it's 10 years ago, I got up to 100% consistently. What it's about is consciously managing your unconscious mind. You see, what I knew, what spirit gave me then, was an awareness that the conscious mind is an observer. All the doing is done by the unconscious. Nowadays, 40 years later, with functional MRIs, Mm -hmm. they've demonstrated that what we think are conscious decisions are actually made by our unconscious up to 10 seconds prior to when we think we're consciously making them. Okay. So, I mean, would that negate free will? Then how do we have any personal responsibility if, if, you know, if decisions are already made for us, then why do I have to do anything, right? We get a choice. What do you mean? How do we have... Let me see if I can explain that. It's a really good question. You have... You ever stood by a massive river and watched all the stuff coming down it? Sure, yeah. I okay. mean, I understand what well, you're saying. Well, there is a massive river running from the unconscious to the conscious mind, which is called the stream of consciousness. Right. Now, in that stream of consciousness, there isn't just one possibility. There are multiple possibilities, and that's where free will comes in. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. I, I, I get that. Okay. So, so let's, let's frame this back into, you know, the realm of cybernetic transposition. So when we're talking about cybernetics, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with cybernetics whatsoever. Does it? I mean, there's, there's nothing cybernetic happening in your brain with, with the, within the mind. Is there, I mean, I'm asking. <laughs> well, actually, If you go into cybernetic modeling, it points out that in even the simplest ordinary situation, there are millions of possibilities. Let me give you an example. Sure. Say you want to go on a picnic and you have a family. So you have to decide, does everyone want to go or only some of them? Where are we going to go? What's the weather? Is the weather good enough? Do we have the time? Do we have the food? What food are we going to take? And in that simple situation, cybernetic analysis comes up with 4 million alternatives. Now, the conscious mind of the most powerful conscious person that researchers have ever met and studied, is able to hold five things concurrently. Okay, yeah. That's the limit. Right. For example, look at the room you're in now. That's three dimensions. Mm -hmm. Now, see if you can simultaneously imagine that room 
at night and during the day. That's mm-hmm. four dimensions. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? I mean, Simultaneously, I think so. not switching back and forth. Okay, okay. Very few people can do that, and that's only four things at once. Hmm. So, see, the conscious mind is not designed to match the complexity of the world. Okay. The unconscious mind that has the 200 billion neurons, which are really simultaneously analog and digital computers with trillions of interconnections so dense that the interconnections are called the felt work, look like felt. Mm-hmm. And that's just in the brain. All the other, other organs of the body are also involved in the unconscious. Okay. So the unconscious is perfectly matched with the complexity of the world. Huh. I love that. And, and that means that we have unimaginable abilities in our unconscious. And the idea of cybernetic transposition is to empower you to consciously tap into those abilities. Basically, it involves expanding the conscious mind into the unconscious. Hmm. So, so making, making the unconscious mind more accessible and more conscious. Would that be right? Yes, indeed. And also the soul. The soul. Yeah, the soul is a part of the God that is resonant with us. It's not a part of our physical body, but it's resonant energetically. And the soul holds your life plan, the design of your life. In cybernetic transposition, we use the soul to determine whether what you want to do is appropriate and for your highest good. I knew you were going to say that. So, so, so there, there's a, there's a sort of bouncing effect that happens where you're connecting into not only what you desire and what you want, but also what your soul has determined as your life path and what is, what's best for your life. That's kind of it. Although the soul didn't determine it, I hate to be complex, but you determine it before you're born. Mm -hmm. I remember being with the karmic board before I was born and designing my life, designing my parents, choosing my parents, and so forth. And I was kind of arrogant because when you're on the other side everything seems possible and you everything is loving Hmm. so i designed a very challenging life (laughs) so so Stu, okay so just i love that i I love the direction that you're going with that and we, we could definitely dig into that a little bit more so you know when we're talking about 
setting goals, you know, the process of setting goals, because people do this all the time. I mean, we're, we're in a new year or a new decade and, you know, people are setting resolutions for themselves, the different things that they want to achieve. What, what do you find people are, are doing incorrectly the most? Because, I mean, we see people that, uh, you know, attempt their goals and, and that's all they, that's all they kind of do is attempt them. They never really succeed. They never really lock it in. Is there a single thing that you would say, okay, these people over and over and over, this is what they're doing wrong? I'll put it a different way, Xavier. Okay. There are three steps, only three steps, conceptually, to achieving what seems to you to be impossible. And, of course, most desirable goals are the ones that most people think are impossible. So, step one is to create an objective that is consciously perfect for you and also perfect for the major parts of your unconscious, including your soul. Mm. And how do you know whether it's perfect for your unconscious? That was my next question. You intuitively sense it's perfect for you. That's your unconscious talking. Your intuition is the way your unconscious communicates with your conscious mind normally. Hmm. It manipulates the body. And over time, you put names on those changes in your body, like I've got a headache, or, wow, I can't trust that guy, or um, I'm really excited. What is going on is your unconscious is trying to get messages across. Now, in the case of the objective, if, in fact, it's aligned with your unconscious, it will intuitively seem just right for you. Okay, okay, okay. You'll be excited, enthusiastic. Okay. okay. So I that's mean, step one. So, so hold, hold, hang, just let me just bump in for a second, please. Uh, so let's just say that a person has the goal of making a million dollars. That excites me, gets me excited to make a million dollars. I'm sure anybody listening to this right now is excited by that, right? But how do you know, I mean, how can you feel that making a million dollars is the right thing for, I mean, could could it be used as an excuse that, oh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't part of my soul path, you know? So, that's why that's why it didn't you know manifest or it didn't create it because it wasn't it wasn't meant for me in some way do you understand does that make sense yeah that could be an excuse or it could be the truth let let, let me give you the other two steps okay. and I, I think it'll become clearer please so the first one is to set this target consciously it's perfect for you Intuitively, it's perfect for you, and translate that into an unconscious target. The second thing is to prioritize that target in your unconscious. Now, your unconscious is doing millions of things at once. Mm. 
mm-hmm. running the body, everything else. Mm-hmm. And you need to make your targets stand out so that mm. greater numbers of your unconscious time-sharing slots, if you want to put it that way, mm-hmm. are attributed, devoted to achieving your target. So prioritizing is the second thing. The third thing is to resolve the self-defeating unconscious habit patterns that would otherwise block you from achieving your target. Right. And that's the one that is where most people fail. Okay. Okay. I could I could see where that would happen. So let's 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 go to the first step. Let's let's talk about targets. Okay? So um, in the book, you talk about how there are different subconscious systems that that c- perhaps are working against each other, like the left brain, right brain, midbrain. They're they're competing with each other. Uh, so how do we how do we get all these systems into a line so that you know we can target something accurately? Okay. Let's uh, talk about subpersonalities. See, functionally, the unconscious is made up of stimulus response machines, functionally, not little guys standing there doing things. Um, Let me give you an example. What's your favorite food? Pasta. Okay. So let's say you look at the scale in the morning and you're two pounds over your set point weight. And you say, God, what I watch what I eat today. And then you walk into a restaurant and you smell the best smelling marinara sauce you've ever smelled. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm. And, and you just go for it. You gobble down a plate of that. And when you get through, you say, oh, that wasn't so good. I feel overfull, <laughs> and I gained two pounds today. Mm. Okay? That is the function of the subpersonality. The stimulus mm. is the smell of the marinara sauce. Mm-hmm. The response is gobbling it down. Hmm. You don't really have much conscious control of that. It's interesting if you try to consciously defeat your unconscious, it'll find workarounds. Mm -hmm. So the trick is to reprogram that subpersonality so that when you smell that delightful marinara sauce, for example, you check how full you feel and you say, and you feel really satisfied already. And, well, I'll pass on it this time. And that all happens unconsciously. Once you set it up, it just happens unconsciously. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's hone in on that a little bit more. Okay. So, so then how do I, how do I understand it? How do I start to create agreement with that sub-personality that, that I have? How do I... Well, the first thing 
is to talk to it. Now, that's the first thing I teach people in my trainings. Um, give it a try right now. <coughs> Sorry, I've got a sinus condition that gets me coughing every once in a while. No problem, sir. Um, so, you, so you were saying to focus, talk... I want you to focus on the center of your chest. That's called the heart chakra. Yes, sir. Now, that is a point where, from a spiritual point of view, the earthly and the spiritual meet. Um, it's where love is supposedly radiated from. In yin and yang, it's a point where one of those energies exists. It's a point that naturally gets a lot of attention from the unconscious. Hmm. So focus there. Mm-hmm. And say, would my subpersonality, who is making my voice sound so resonant, please come forward? Okay. And something will instantly pop into your conscious mind. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You want to take a chance and tell me what popped into your conscious mind? <laughs> um... I, I don't know. It, it wasn't like a thing. It was more of like a, I saw like a, a, a flash of light that, that, ha- that occurred. Great. Now say to that flash of light, are you my subpersonality that makes my voice resonant? <laughs> okay. I'm getting an affirmative. I'm getting like a yes. Okay. That's the first step of working with subpersonality. Okay, so now, just to... So, see how easy that was? Okay, so just to reiterate, so it's 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 focusing on the chest, bringing your focus into the chest where the heart center is and and asking the question there because that's where the dynamic of uh, the divine occurs, like with the soul and, and love. It's a place where the unconscious pays a lot of attention. How about that? Okay. Okay, let's continue, please. Okay, now, ask that subpersonality what it's trying to do for you by making your voice so resonant. <laughs> okay. Do you feel comfortable telling me what it said? Um... Yeah, I mean, I can share it. It's I, I think it's saying something along the lines of, you know, helping others. That's well, that's what I'll say. See, the trick is the unconscious puts everything into your conscious mind, so whatever pops up is what's coming from it. Okay. Okay. So, if you were going to reprogram that subpersonality, which, in this case. You wouldn't normally do, but let's say, since it's working with you, hmm. you'd write that down as job number one. Okay. Then you would say to the subpersonality, what's my your more basic job? Okay. And you can do that, or I can give you a hypothetical. Let's get hypothetical with this. <laughs> okay. So maybe it says now, 
Well, to make you very successful. So you write that down as job number two. And then you say, well, what's your still more basic job? And it says, well, to fill you with joy and loving. Hmm. And then you say, what's your still more basic job? And it says, to make your life a paradise on earth. Wow. And then you say to it, well, what is your absolutely most basic job? And it says, to make you one with God. Wow. Now, the most basic job is always spiritual. Always loving, acceptance, joy, God, something of that sort. Mm -hmm. I just gave you a typical series that might be the case. I mean, I, now, so what you do at that point is you say to the subpersonality, would you like to take on that most basic job as your primary function? And usually it says, oh, yeah, I'm go for it. Okay. And then you say, okay, we're going to offload the other jobs to you. And you come up with other subpersonality to do jobs one, two, three, and four so that the subpersonality can deal with its most basic job. Which is now, paradise on earth and connecting you with God. Well, most basic job is connecting you with God. Paradise on earth is not spiritual. It is earthly. Okay. Okay. There's an important difference there, but I'm focused on that because I just wrote a book about that. Um, I mean, Stu, I'm surprised because I didn't, I didn't really expect, you know, the conversation I to go in this direction because I mean, the title of your book is what it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's talking about money and to be completely forthcoming, it feels a little bit clickbaity to me the way that it's titled. So, you know, I, I didn't expect it to go this deep with you, which I'm pleasantly surprised i'm very very happy that you're talking about this so so okay okay so just let's just reset a little bit and bring it back together for our audience okay i forgot we let's had people say listening to you this. want to make a million bucks right okay now have you ever made a million dollars not yet. Okay. There are reasons why you haven't. You've got the personality to make a million dollars. That's clear. That's for sure. Okay. And that's the most important one. <laughs> but you haven't made it because your unconscious is not set up to do that. Let me give you uh, an example. Uh, Kalatic, who started Uber. Um, he was set up unconsciously to make a great deal of money. Musk, who turned PayPal from a little venture into a big success, was made a, set up unconsciously to make a lot of money. Okay. Okay? I could go on and on. Sure. Some people are unconsciously set up to do that. Most people aren't. So it's a learned process. So in the case of you making it, 
Um, I'm not going to ask you to tell me, but write down for yourself the most you've ever made in a year. Sure. Okay? Now, if you had to make that much money next year, I mean it was survival, mm-hmm. gut-wise, how certain are you that you could do that? Without a doubt. I mean, I don't think it's an aspect of, you know, like making the money. I don't know. It's a, it's a bit complex with me, I think. But just for this for the sake of discussion, sure, yes, without a doubt. Okay. Then you are in the 1% category right away. Because most people would say, uh, no, 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 no. You know. They would have a block there. Yeah, because there is, most people have what I call an unconscious performance limit. It's an unconscious limit that you can't go get past because it's like a glass ceiling. You can't even see it. Fascinating. Okay, so let's 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 make it a little bit more basic. So so blockers. Let's talk about the 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 blockers that we have within ourselves that block this sort of progress that that we're trying to make. Oh, sure. Um, see, I'm kind of using you as a guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That's fine. Okay. Have you ever had? A fight with a relationship partner? Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And didn't it go something like this? They said or did something, and you went ballistic. <laughs> you want me to agree to this? I mean, yeah, okay, yes, yes, that's what happened. Well, I'm, I'm trying to... Go ahead. Either... Okay, most people would say yes. And what happened in that hypothetical situation is your relationship partner hit your hot button, which is a trigger for a sub-personality that reacted with anger. Okay. Okay? Now, you could work with that sub-personality so that when your relationship partner does the same thing, you react with loving acceptance. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't like what you said, but I certainly understand your perspective and remember what to say, I love you, okay? Mm-hmm. You could choose that response instead of the block of response of mm-hmm. knee-jerk anger. Does that make sense? Yes, sir, it does. So so when we encounter a block, I mean, what does that mean? What does that what does that mean that we're I mean, why would we be blocking ourselves? Why would we be creating blocks for achieving, you know, success in di- on different levels? I don't oh, understand. We live in a society that says it should be difficult to be successful. You really have to work hard at it. Your chances aren't good anyway. Hmm. And 
have you do you have kids? No, sir. Okay. Most people when they have kids will say you can't do that. The kid said, Mommy, I want to go outside. And Mommy says, You can't do that until I'm ready because I want you to be safe. Mm-hmm. And what the kid hears is, You can't do that. Right. That's your unconscious. Now, the kid can <clears throat> react by throwing a tantrum. If, in fact, the parent is susceptible to that, kids learn to be very good manipulators. And if that works, then you have an unconscious habit pattern. When somebody says you can't throw a tantrum, make sense so far? Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's one way an unconscious habit pattern can be established. You, you also... Now let's fast forward 40 years. Let's say this kid's name is Joe. And Joe has a job working for somebody. Except that somebody is about to fire Joe because they're downsizing. And Joe says, I need the job. I have a family. I have to, I've got a home. I've done a good job for you. Please don't fire me. And the somebody who's employing Joe says, look, I'm sorry. You just can't keep the job. We can't afford it. And Joe old habit pattern goes off. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you can't afford it? You can't afford not to have me. Do you realize what I do? And he goes with it to a tantrum. Mm-hmm. That's the same old unconscious habit pattern from when he was a kid that worked to control his mother. Mm-hmm. But I have run over 100 companies, and I can tell you, that is the best way to get walked out of the office. Right. And and also, I feel like you're alluding to he, he Joe, in our example, is going to a place of anger instead of a place of love. And then there maybe perhaps there's there's also a higher dynamic of, you know, a lesson, like a lesson plan that you come here to learn all these different things. And once you demonstrate, OK, you have, you know, you've past this level because you've reached this understanding of it, then it sort of unlocks for you the next level, right? Well, yeah, and that's what I call karma. Okay, and I mean, I just, I want to touch on this really quick. Also, you, when you give a list of, of blocks and blockers, they could be anything from, you know, headaches to fatigue to different things happening in your body that is creating a resistance to you performing this task, you moving to sort of the And it can also be, I don't understand. I could never do math. Mm -hmm. That's too complicated. I'm tired. 
You ever been absolutely exhausted? You come home and there's a movie on that really intrigue you and suddenly you're filled with energy. Sure, yeah. It wasn't a physical exhaustion. It was an unconscious blocker. Hmm. And you see, our natural, most basic way of being is loving, joy, enthusiastic, upliftment, fulfillment, and so forth. Anytime you're not experiencing that, you're running into a blocker, a self-defeating, unconscious habit pattern. Some may be karmic from past lives. Mm -hmm. Some may be things you learned like Joe throwing a tantrum. Let me give you an example. Yes. <clears throat> you remember when you learned to drive a car? I'm assuming you do yes. drive a car. Mm -hmm. You remember how challenging it was? You had to consciously decide and manage each little thing. How far do I turn the wheel? How much pressure do I put on the brake? Mm -hmm. How much, you know, this and that and the other. Right. And now when you drive a car, it's automatic, right? Yeah, I just don't even think about that. Right. That's because you've established a lot of successful unconscious habit patterns. Mm, they right. drive the car. Now let's take another unconscious habit pattern that's pretty successful. You ever noticed that when you have a deadline, you become hyper-efficient as you approach the deadline? Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, you get an awful lot done in a short time. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you're automatically driving your car, and for some reason, this other unconscious habit pattern of getting a lot done in a short time comes into play, and you find yourself driving faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And then you see this flashing light behind you. And you pay a lot of money and have a lot of aggravation because you just got a speeding ticket. So what was a very successful unconscious habit pattern, getting a lot done in short time, becomes situationally a self-defeating one. Gets you a traffic ticket. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So... The trick is managing things so your successful unconscious habit patterns are applied in ways that achieve your successful, I'm sorry, successful achieve what you want. I love that. <clears throat> if you, did you ever see the movie uh, The Secret? Yes. About Joe Vitale and the other guys? Yes. I think, and it happens. That's because they're set up unconsciously to do that. A lot of my life is like that, too. And and a lot of my students' lives have become like that. Now, we built something that I call success team. Success team. Success team. Like okay. a football team. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Now, this is comprised of the sub-personalities that each created one of your greatest successes in life. 
it's funny that what may be a greater success for you may not look at all a great success to somebody else. Mm. Mm. For example, I used to kill plants. I couldn't keep a live plant around. And now I have six plants sitting in front of me. I talk to them every day. I enjoy them. I feel extremely successful. That's one of my greatest successes, having these plants thriving and happy. So, of course, another of my greatest success is the day that somebody put a $275,000 check in my hand. For sure. Okay, that was a great success. Another great success was the first time I ever won a sports car race. I used to race Porsches. And I beat my instructor. Oh, he was so pissed off. Great success. Hmm. Um, one of my greatest successes is finding my wife, Gloria, Aww. using CT. I had 32 characteristics, one of which was a highly successful entrepreneur. Another one was practically perfect in every way. Thank you, Mary Poppins. <laughs> and she's a 10 on all 32 of those. So CT, what is that? Cybernetic transposition, oh, okay, I'm okay, sorry. Okay. Lapsing into jargon. Sorry. No, no problem, no problem, no problem. Just want to make sure that we're covering everything. So... So, so yeah. you, you take these sub-personalities, seven sub-personalities that created your seven greatest successes, and then you take your sub-personalities that created your greatest failures. Because if you think about it for a while, in order to create a great failure, which is the opposite of great success, right? Right. The subpersonality has to know intimately what was a great success in order to create the great failure. Hmm. So we just turn that around. Mm-hmm. So the subpersonality becomes a success expressing subpersonality. We put all 14 of those together into a team. And immediately you become much more successful, like the guys in the secret. And you become much luckier because luck is unconsciously generated success. Hmm. And one of the first tests I give my students is creating parking spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, go someplace where you can never get a parking space. And before you start out, create an imaginary experience of a space right where you were going vacating just as you get there so you can just slide right into it Mm -hmm. and then ask your success team to make that happen and in the beginning it works about 90 percent of the time for people using their success team for me it works about 99.8 percent so so why would you say that it's it's you have a higher success rate percentage rate then I've been doing it longer. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Basically, if I didn't 
find a parking space there. I would find the subpersonality that blocked it from appearing, and I'd reprogram it. I've had to do that with five of them. And it just works. Huh. Okay, so so from what I'm hearing is that inside of us, there are these teams that we build out that are based on our greatest successes and are also in parallel our greatest failures. And you call that a success team. And this Well, team- it's not the greatest failures. You got to reprogram the subpersonality that created the greatest failure. So they flip using that knowledge of what is a great success. So they now are creating great successes. Uh, okay, so so we're flipping the the failure side of it into great successes. How do we do that? By the process I briefed you with before. Okay. Okay. You remember your resonant voice subpersonality? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. So we regress that to its most basic job, at which point it is extremely powerful and totally positive. Then we build a team of subpersonalities to do the positive versions of all the other jobs. One, hmm. two, three, four. And we put those together into a team and give them a job. In this case, it might be no matter what my health is, my voice will be resonant, clear, and resounding. Okay. Okay. And then you anchor that in particular ways. And from that time on, the team visual functions automatically, unconsciously. Okay. So there's something that you use called the color process. Yeah, that's very simple. Okay. Um, Sometimes, well, let's take a headache. I'll give you a story. Um, I'm a car nut. My wife wanted, she used to like BMWs, white BMWs. I do not like white BMWs. But she wanted to get a new car, and I went with her to the BMW dealer. I left her alone with the salesman so I wouldn't influence her. It was a hot day, so there were two female salespeople and a male standing there looking pretty wilted. (laughs) And I carried on conversation. I said, how are you guys? It's pretty hot today. The woman says, it's not only hot, I've got a terrible headache. Mm -hmm. And I said, ah, you want to get rid of the headache fast? And she said, kind of skeptically, yeah. So I led her through the color process. Now, in the color process, you, in this case, imagine what color the headache is. Mm. And you guess if it doesn't come for you right away, and you write it down. Then you imagine that the headache has a liquid volume, and you say, how much water does it take to fill it up? So let's say the headache was red. It took two gallons to fill it then what's the temperature of the headache? 
143 degrees. Hmm. And what's the sound it's making? A really nasty whining sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, let's go through that again. Tell me what color it is now. Hmm. Well, now it's kind of a hazy orange. How much water? Uh, a gallon. <laughs> what temperature? Mm, 120. Sound? It's going bam, 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 bam. <laughs> okay, let's go through it again. What color is it? I can't find it. It's mm -hmm. no color. It's invisible. Okay, how much water? None. Well, what's the temperature? Guess it's my body temperature. What's the sound? Oh, that's really nice. It's harmonious. And how's your headache? It's gone. Now, in the color process, it's wildly simple what you're doing. Your unconscious already knows you don't want the headache. Mm -hmm. You send it lots of messages. It just doesn't know exactly what you mean by what you don't want. Right. So by concentrating on this headache in these ways, what's the color, what's the liquid volume, what's the temperature, what's the sound? Oh, okay. <clears throat> You're giving your unconscious a focus for what you want it to get rid of. Right, right. And pretty quickly it does. Wow. The last part of that process, you say, what's the message that the headache was trying to give me? In the case of the woman, it says, go drink two glasses of water. <laughs> she came back and she was just filled with energy and felt great. Hmm. That's a color process. Now, love that. If you're trying to talk with a subpersonality and you get a blank, you can do the color process on the blank. And pretty quick, look at each split. You realize the subpersonality is giving you an answer, but it wasn't formatted in a way you could consciously understand. And so it becomes understandable. Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're carrying on a back-and-forth conversation with the subpersonality because you have trained it to format its communication in a way you can consciously understand. Sure. That makes sense? Yes. So, so you're, giving these, you're giving these symptoms a sort of metric for your, your unconscious mind to target and then remove. Yeah, or turn into a communication or whatever. Right. So, so where, where does, uh, would that be an aspect of base reframing as well? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Base reframing, it's a little different. Okay. Remember, um, Okay, I asked you whether you had ever had a fight with a relationship partner. Mm -hmm. Let's say you did, and you remember that fight. Mm -hmm. 
And as you or anybody else remembers that kind of a situation, the body will move into the state it was in during the fight. So maybe you had your flight flight reaction going, your adrenaline was going, you're clenching your teeth and your shoulders are hunched up, mm-hmm. or whatever it might have been. Okay? Those body feelings, those changes in the body, are intimately tied in with that experience. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so the, the, the body stores these sort of traumatic experiences and uh, they become blocks? Well, let's say that by having that flight, fight with your relationship partner, you ended up with your relationship partner walking out, which is not what you wanted to happen. So that blocker cost you dearly. But then what if you met someone after she left that was supposed to be in your life? Then wouldn't it be the opposite? Wouldn't it be a success? Well, sure. But in the instant, it wasn't what you wanted to happen. Right. So, in the instant, you weren't moving consciously towards something, you were running away from something. And do you find... And that's never successful. Something that I find in my life is that when I don't face something that is coming up as a block or something that... I need to address differently. It it just repeats in cycles until I get it. What's what's happening there? I mean, how can I reduce that cycle from, you know, lowering in frequency or not occurring at all? Is there a way to communicate? Well, you asked me about the base reframing. The base reframing is one way of doing that. In the base reframing, (coughs) excuse me, In the base reframing, you come up with five earlier memories of time when the same blocker pattern was operating. Going back to the earliest one, the the earliest one that's appropriate for your high school to remember at that point. Then you use your marvelously powerful gift of hindsight which is underappreciated in the world, um, to come up with a new version of that earliest situation that is exactly the way you would have liked things to be. So you you retell the story so that it occurs differently in your memory, in your imagination. Yeah, until it's a 10. I mean, it's absolutely perfect. And then you anchor that, meaning you um, functionally imagine surrounding that imaginary experience with a ball of white light, put it in your heart chakra, say to your heart chakra, this is an example of the way I'd like to always perceive, experience, create, and handle this kind of a situation. 
Mm-hmm. Please make that happen in ways that are for the highest good of me and all concerned. And you do that with each of the five memories. And then you pick out the themes that you have intuitively put into those five perfect situations that make them all perfect. You'll find, lo and behold, you have a series of themes that keep coming up in those perfect refrains. Mm -hmm. Then you take the original situation, like the knee-jerk reaction with your relationship partner, and you remodel that, but you make sure consciously that that new perfect version includes all of those themes. And then you tell your unconscious, this is the way I want you always to handle the situation. And... You forget it, except the next time the trigger came that comes up that would have created knee-jerk anger, mm-hmm. you unconsciously automatically react the way you had in your perfect imaginary situation. How, how important is the process of letting go? Not very important because that's a conscious choice and it's not going to change the unconscious. I mean, but you, you talk about it in your advanced super achievement techniques and you, you talk about how uh, to, to achieve your objective, you, it, it, that letting go is incredibly powerful. So, I don't think I do, actually. Oh, oh no. What okay. I talk about is transforming your reaction hmm. so that it becomes successful. My apologies. I must have written the question down incorrectly. It, it, sorry. So No, no problem. It's, uh, it's understandable. So, but, so, see, you can't... It doesn't work to try to get rid of stuff. It's mm-hmm. much more successful to just transform it. It's so easy. You know, the base reframing, first time you do it, it might take you 45 minutes. Usually takes me 15 minutes. And it's a permanent change. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, so it's more important that my apologies, I misinterpreted that in your book somewhere. But so, so it's it's not more crucial that we let things go. It's more crucial that we transform the our relationship to those things. Yeah, so that they do what you consciously want, and there's a check to make sure that what you consciously want is appropriate and for your highest good. Okay, and and that brings you into alignment with your soul, brings you unconsciously, brings you unconsciously into alignment with soul. That's what the whole deal is about. When you're in alignment with your soul, you're living in joy, loving, harmony, uplifting, and fulfillment. And to me, that's what success is. I agree. So how can we, how can we be in that state all the time? How can we be in that state of living to our highest you know, soul connection, to our highest connection to God and ourselves all the time? Well, 
That's a good question. I have been meditating an hour, two hours a day to keep up my connection with God from the near-death experience and clearing everything. And I'm kind of getting close to um, that. I'm on the 25th to the 26th levels up into the heart of God. And you can get close, but while you're on the planet, you're never going to get there when you're on the earth. Even the great spiritual teachers, uh, of which there are extremely few ever on the planet, are human. They make mistakes. Hmm. So the answer is, you can get a good approximation. In my coaching program, there's a process I teach called the Great Day Process. The great you design day. Great Day. You design what would be for you a great day, and then you set up unconscious teams to implement that. And if you keep a journal, you suddenly realize that either all or nearly all your days match that specification henceforth. That's about as close as I know you can get. How important is repetition to all of this process? Well, repetition increases the unconscious priority. Think of a kid learning to write. They repeat the movements developing muscle and small motor control. Mm. And it takes repetition. Think of an uh, NFL quarterback. You know, who is the best, Peyton Manning or whoever you want as your hero? Mm -hmm. um, what they do is almost impossible. If you look at it from the point of dynamics, mechanics, the ability to get a pass into the hands of a receiver running flat out, taking turns at up to five Gs and treading within an inch of the uh, sideline mm -hmm. is unbelievably complex. It couldn't be done by uh, artificial intelligence. You know, I was thinking about this you know, on this week as I was going through this material and reviewing this book. I was just thinking about how sort of primitive our connection to ourselves is because I mean, we don't regulate our breathing. We don't regulate our heartbeat. I mean, if we were left to do the, just those two things, we would lose our minds. Like we wouldn't be able to navigate just those two simple, seemingly simple things. So, you know, it's so important to have an idea i think of how how important it is that we connect to the processes that 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 demonstrate these you know these functions yeah. well let me tell you about an experience of mine about three years ago i was finding it increasingly difficult to climb stairs i'd end up at the top huffing and puffing and I finally said, maybe this has to do with my heart. 
well, my cardiologist had retired, so I used CT to find this great new cardiologist. And for me, a doctor is great if they have tremendous skill, they have tremendous, that is, mechanical skills, because that's what medicine is. They have tremendous communication skills. They are loving, and they let me take charge. Okay. Okay. So I got this great cardiologist. First thing he did was to do an echocardiogram on me. So you'd sound waves to look at the heart. Technician doing it, and I had had this done maybe 50 times previously, he said, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble. I can't really see your heart. It appears there's so much fluid in your lungs that I just can't see through it. I said, what do we do about that? He said, I'm going to tell the cardiologist. He licked his split, rushed me over to a chest man, a pulmonologist. And he said, uh-huh, you have a lot of fluid in your lungs. He says, I'm going to draw some of it off. So he stuck a needle in my back into my lungs and pulled out a water glass full of fluid. And I immediately felt a lot better. In fact, I kind of locked up jogging around his office. Um, he sent it to the lab, and he says, we're going to have to get a biopsy. Mm -hmm. So he sent me to a surgeon, a very nice guy named Ali, who did a procedure that involved biopsy and three days of pumping the rest of the fluid out of my lung. Oh, no. I was in the hospital. I hate hospitals, I can tell you. And um, and he kept saying, what does the biopsy show? And nobody would answer me. Mm -hmm. Finally, on the third day, um, I was beginning to think, you know, if they're not telling me what the biopsy is, it may mean cancer. So I use CT to create a perfect oncologist. Mm -hmm. And on the third day, he walked in. He'd been referred by the pulmonologist, <clears throat> and he was exactly what I wanted. He says, you've got lung cancer. Mm -hmm. It's small cell non-Hodgkin's. The good news is it's not the worst kind of cancer. I said to him, I had two tests. Test one, um, may I call you by your first name? Because a doctor who hides behind a title is not somebody I want. Right. And the second one was, I said to him, uh, do you want to be a member of my team? I'm going to do some things you won't understand until I explain them to you. Even so, do you want to go along with it, be a member of the team? He said, absolutely. So we're on board. David was my main man. Hmm. Um. What happened was I had stage four lung cancer. I had a tumor that filled 40% of my left lung, which is kind of startling when you see a CAT scan unwinds to show you that. Mm -hmm. And they put me on chemo and so forth. Gets around the 14th month, the tumor is still growing in size. Mm -hmm. 
So I say, Spirit, in addition to what I've been doing with CT, I said, what do I do about this? And they said, work with your basic selves. Now, my spiritual teacher had taught me about my, the basic selves. They are analogous to the soul, but on the physical level. They build the body. They control the body. They run the body. So I worked with my basic selves. I have two, one male, one female. And when I first met them years ago, they were like three or four years old. Now they're matured. And I said, let's heal the cancer. Hmm. And I explained, I've been researching cancer, so I knew enough to explain to him what we had to do. Long and short of it was, at the end of the 14th month, they took a CAT scan, and there was no cancer left. It was completely gone. Wow. So you were able to connect in with yourself and to spirit, as you termed it, and and then the cancer was gone. My basic selves did it, yeah. My, um, I was explaining to my oncologist as I went along what I was doing, and he was very supportive. But he was blown away. He said, I've never seen anything like it. So I've been told by Spirit on the fifth anniversary of the disappearance of the cancer, um, I can write a book because there are a lot of things that I discovered and used that are definitely not common knowledge or that you'll find anywhere else. So maybe that'll help some other people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's so many occasions. I, th- I think that's just the definition of life where you're just you're going to get hit by, you know, something that curves its way and enters your life. And whether it's a near tragedy or a near escape or you know, however you define that. But I think the important part of your story is the connecting with spirit part, you know, and that I, I, I resonate with that. I, I connect with that. Um it's a nice place to be. How important, Stuart? We're, we're running out of time, so... Okay, um, so let me say something please. that's been sticking up. <clears throat> let me go back to achieving objectives. I said there are three steps, and the um, sauce that makes it work is CT. It's the operating manual that didn't come with us. And I'd like to tell folks how they can get that book if they want it. Sure. Or how they can get... Okay. If they want to go online, they can get the book at www.myanythingfast.com. Myanythingfast.com. Okay. It's all one word, lowercase. And... In fact, the system, cybernetic transposition, will teach them to get just about anything they want pretty fast. Now, for people who really want to go for it and achieve a higher level of it, I have my Super Achiever Coaching Program, the SACP, and in that, the participants who do at least most of the assigned work have a literal 100% success rate, first try, at doing 
they're seemingly achieving the seemingly impossible objectives. What might that be? Finding a perfect partner and getting into a perfect relationship with them, making 569000 that was $1, that's one person. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, getting rid of cancer was another person. Um, and that one, if they want to check that out, I've got a highly descriptive page, my SACP, Super Achiever Coaching Program, mysacp.com. Okay, we'll make sure we will for sure make sure those are those are available for anyone who needs to access them. There's a couple things I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, Stu. Really quick, uh, time tripping. What what exactly is time tripping? Uh, how does that work in? Well, it. Um, I think I ripped that off of Vonnegut in one book. He said I was time tripping, and I liked the name. Uh, in fact. It's simply a process of making it easier to get to achievement of your target. So in step one of the three-step process of achieving seemingly impossible things, you set a target. You're here, and the target is in the future. Now, if you use Google Maps, it'll show you the fastest way to get from point A to point B. Time tripping is kind of doing what Google Maps does. You pick three, I'm sorry, uh, three intermediate dates before your endpoint date when you're supposed to achieve your objective. Mm -hmm. And on each of those, you imagine that you're having a perfect day. You take whatever pops up in your imagination and you make it perfect. Hmm. Say, what pops up is, I got home from work. It was a really tough day. I'm really tired now. You change that into, I got home from work feeling very successful, having really handled some challenging things extremely well. Mm -hmm. And I'm filled with fulfillment and enthusiasm okay so you say this is an example of the way i want things to be on day one then the next day in the imaginary future you might have um went out to dinner at this great restaurant everything was great except the waiter had spilled soup in my lap so you change it into Everything was great. The waiter was fine. He handled everything with the plum. And I left there with my date saying, boy, your suit looks great. You look wonderful. Or whatever it might be. And you say, this is an example of the way I want it to be. So you create examples of perfect days, starting with what your unconscious gives you. So mm -hmm. give me an experience on date one and so on. Right. That simply directs your unconscious to connect one perfect day to another perfect day to another perfect day, all in the direction of achieving your objective. And based on 
empirical results, it certainly speeds the process and makes it easier. See, I'm very, I'm uh, really results-based. Right. If it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, find something else. Yeah, Stu, I mean, I appreciate your time so very much. I think everyone listening to this right now has really enjoyed this. I was really surprised by the direction that it took, and I'm, I'm really glad for that. Um, the book is called, I mean, there's so much that, that we didn't cover completely. I think that that I encountered in this book that I wanted to talk about. Um, just before I close, Stu, is, is there anything that you want to you know address the crowd with uh, other than you know the link for the book, which we will... We will put out there for sure, but I just I just want to give you a chance to, you know, address the crowd if if you'd like to. Yeah, sure. Well, we named the book "How to Get Lots of Money for Anything Fast" because most people have been taught by our culture that if you have money, your life is going to be perfect. It's not true. As long as you have enough money, above that. It's just chips. But it's a good title to get people interested because most people think that money's going to make their life perfect. When they get into it, they realize that it's general operating manual for making your life perfect. That's the first thing. Uh, hmm. Second thing is... I just finished writing a book called The Second Wake-Up Call that I'm hoping I will get published in print and make very successful because it's about changing our headlong rush toward Armageddon, which we are engaged in right now, into making our life a paradise on earth and that's really important so when this comes out i ask your listeners to get the book and practice it is a how to change the world book and it was entirely given to me in my spirit um third thing is um that i have another training and another book called The Super Entrepreneur Training, and a book on how to be a highly successful entrepreneur, that, how did one venture capitalist put it? It should be a basic reading for any aspiring entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, the book is only available by, to participate in the training. The training is called The Super Entrepreneur Training, you can find it online, www.superentrepreneur.com. Um, I have really enjoyed talking with you. I like your questions. I'm sorry we don't have more time to explore them more fully. Yeah, I mean, it's been about 90 minutes, so we went through it. Uh, guys, that's the, that's the show. My guest is Stuart Lichtman. And the book is called How to Get Lots of Money for Anything Fast. I mean, he's got a whole series of different books that kind of cover this vein of thought. 
And if you're looking for something to help you change the way you think, the way you perceive the world, you're going to want to check this stuff out. So I highly recommend it. Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We will definitely be back next week with another episode. Thanks so much.